series that we started in August today called Beautiful Things. Next week, we're starting a brand new series. And uh, uh, next week, we have a very big announcement that we are making as a church. And so uh, it's like one of the biggest announcements we've made uh, since the start of the, the, the church. We started in 2010. So whatever you do, try to make it here next week so you can hear uh, that announcement. And also, as we start uh, this brand new series... Uh, but for today, who is ready for football season today? Anybody? Yeah, woohoo. Some of you, some of you, maybe not. I don't know about you, but football season, the kids go back to school. Suddenly the realization comes on. Unfortunately, fall is here. But I am one of those people who try to hang on to summer. So yesterday, uh, it was a beautiful day yesterday. And uh, I, have, I have this Jeep that you can take the top off uh, of the Jeep. So I, I, I put the top back yesterday. And I was in the car with, with Raquel, my wife, and Evan, my son, and and. And, uh, and, and Evan's in the back, and, and, and we're driving on uh, on one of these back uh, roads. And Evan's like, "Dad, it's cold. Can you put the top on?" And, and I turn to Raquel and I say, "Yeah, you can just tell it's full. There's like a crisp call in the air." And then I look down, and my air conditioning was on full. And so I realized, "No, it's not full yet. Summer is still here." So because I'm one of those people, I like change, but I don't like the change of seasons. So uh, I like changing everything else, but I can't. I hold on to summer as long as I can. I want to remind you this morning of summer. So I've got a picture that I would like to uh, give to you this morning. Oh, isn't that beautiful, right? You know, and all you people with your fall and your pumpkins, pumpkin spice, you can have that. This is what I want right here. So, uh, uh, so summer, right? So when I was a, a young boy, my father used to listen to a radio station in the UK called Radio 4. Uh, you can keep that picture on, by the way, and uh, just keep reminding people of, uh, of the summer. Uh, so he listened to this radio station called Radio 4, and uh, uh, I used to, like, if I go into his room or if he was out in the yard listening, I'm like, Dad, this radio station is so boring. It's, it, it's like, why do you listen to it? And my dad's like, it's very educational. You know, it's like, you should listen to it. You may learn a thing or two. Well, the old I got actually the more I got into it and I liked it and uh, so I actually enjoy that radio station now but don't tell my father I, I do well there's a show on there on this radio station called Desert Island Discs it's been running for like uh, many many years I think it was started in like the 50s or the 60s it's still running today and on this show uh, on this radio station they bring someone in a well-known person a celebrity or something and uh, they ask them three questions and the three questions are this. If you were to be shipwrecked onto a desert island, what are, and they use eight, what are the eight records? And for those of you who don't know what records are, they're things like you, we, we used to play, but now you buy them on iTunes. You know, for those of you maybe a little, you know, older, CDs, remember CDs? You know, I don't know, remember the last time I bought a CD, especially a record. But what, what were the eight records that you would want to bring onto the desert island? And then what, you could bring one book on the desert island, and then you could bring one luxury island item on the desert island. Uh, and, and so they used to listen to it and they would explain why and why those records mean so much to them, why that book meant so much to them and why that luxury item meant so much to them. And uh, I was thinking about this this week and I'm just like, I really don't know what kind of records I would bring. Um, the book, I mean, I'm a pastor, so I better bring my Bible, right? And, uh, and, and then luxury item, I'm like, oh, I got it. I'm taking my cell phone because my cell phone, I can get all the records I want on it and I can 
can get all the books I want. So that's my luxury item that I would like to take, my cell phone. And hopefully there's signal out there, right? Yeah, let's hope so. Hopefully I can get a Wi-Fi connection, right? But, but that's really what I would take. And so I don't know about you what you would take, but, but as I was thinking about this, I was thinking, well, if I was a de- on a desert island that had these things, what if some other people joined me? What if I actually brought 12 other people with me? Who would those 12 people be? And I started thinking about it, and I was just like, oh, I really don't know who those 12 people would be that I would bring onto a desert island with me, that, that we'd, be sh- we'd, be, we'd be shipwrecked, you know, we, we wouldn't have anything else, maybe we had some food and water, but who would 12 people be that I would actually want to be on an island with? There, there's, there's lots of different reality TV shows for stuff like that, and people are like put together, and it goes crazy. Remember Survivor? I think Survivor's still going. I can't believe it is. But, but they were all together and there's fighting and all this sort of stuff. But who would 12 people be? I wonder in your life, could you pick 12 people that you would want to be on a desert island with? Well, Jesus kind of had this question. Jesus voluntarily actually chose 12 people to be his friend, his close friends, called them his disciples, those he would choose to be apostles, and he chose these people. And so this morning, I want us to take a look at these people that Jesus chose and, uh, and take a look at them because it's very interesting who Jesus chose. So if you've got your Bibles, if you want to turn to Luke chapter 6, Luke chapter 6. Whenever I get to the book of Luke, I always laugh because my grandmother, she was from Newcastle or the Newcastle area in England, and they talk very funny up there. And uh, she would always say to us, you need to Luke in the book of Luke. And so whenever I look at Luke, I always think of my grandmother because I need to Luke in the book of Luke. And so... So if you want to turn to Luke, and then we're going to start uh, Luke chapter 6, and I'm going to start reading at verse 12. It says this, One day soon afterwards, Jesus went up a mountain to pray, and he prayed to God all night. At daybreak, he called together all his disciples. So many people have been following Jesus. Many are saying, I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm going to be his disciple. And then Jesus, between all the disciples, chose 12 of them to be his apostles. Here are their names. There was Simon, who he named Peter. Andrew, who was Peter's brother. James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, or sometimes called James the Lesser, Simon, who was called the Zealot, Judas, or some translations say Jude, son of James, and then Judas Iscariot, who later betrayed him. So these were the 12 guys that Jesus decided to get together and say, I'm going to pour my life into. I'm going to work with these guys. I'm going to spend my life day after day with them, and I'm going to pour my life into them. So who are these guys? Well, actually, when you look at them, you see some sort of patterns emerge. Let's take a look at the first five guys that Jesus picked. The first one, his name was Peter. Well, Simon, Jesus later called him Peter. He said, Simon, you well now be Peter, and on this rock we will build my church. That's what Jesus said to him. Peter was an outspoken fisherman. That was his occupation, and his personality was he spoke before he thought. I wonder how many people 
hear speak before you think? Or how many people do you know who speak before you think? Maybe lots of people you know. The second one was Andrew. Andrew was Peter's brother, but Andrew is very organized. He organizes people. He's one of those organizers, but he was also a fisherman. He was an organized fisherman. James is the next one, and James was very intense. Very intense. Uh, uh, his personality was just like, you know, it's almost like you can't joke with this guy. Everything is serious. He's intense. Then there was John. John was the youngest disciple. And he was also a fisherman like the other three. But he was very passionate. He was passionate about what he does. And you can see from his gospels how passionate he, he was. And then the fifth one, his name was Philip. Philip was also known to be a fisherman. But he was very relational. So he, he was one of those guys who had lots of friends and would, would connect people one with each other, a very relational guy. So here are these first five guys. You see a pattern emerging. Jesus liked fishermen. Jesus liked to hang out with fishermen. I don't know if he thought, you know, I like fish, so hang out with the guys who catch fish, right? Fishermen. Now, they've all got different personalities, but they're all kind of from the same background. They're all from kind of the Sea of Galilee region, same socioeconomic background. They probably all looked like each other very much, talked like each other. We see a pattern emerging. Fishermen. But then you see the next four guys that Jesus picked, and they're very different. The next one was Bartholomew. Many scholars believe that Bartholomew was actually from royal blood. Bartholomew was a bit of an elitist. And the reason we know this is because he had opinions about other people from other races and other towns. Remember when Philip introduced him to Jesus, he says, from Nazareth, Jesus from Nazareth, can anything good come from Nazareth? He was an elitist. And many people, many scholars believed he was actually from royal blood, which would even increase that elitism. Then there was Matthew, also known as Levi. Matthew was a non-religious man. He actually had turned his back on the Jewish religion and had become a Roman tax collector. He had become very prosperous. So now for the first time, we've got somebody who's not even in alignment with the values of Israel anymore. He's more in alignment with the values of Rome. Then you have Thomas. Thomas was probably a tradesman. We're not sure. But this is what we know about Thomas. He was a little pessimistic. The pessimist tradesman. And then we have James. James. James, son of Alphaeus, also known as James the Lesser. Would you like that name, James the Lesser? James, would you like the name James the Lesser? James the Lesser, some scholars and many people believe that he was the cousin of Jesus. Kind of this quiet guy who was known as not as good as the other James. So now we got some fishermen, but now we got these other guys. These are the ones who are a little different. But still kind of in the same, maybe they believe the same, except for Matthew. Maybe Matthew would turn his back on religion, but he still had those values. But then we look at the next three. So we've got nine, the next three. Look at the next three. We've got Simon, known as the Zealots. He was an opinionated political and religious activist. He's the guy you want over for dinner, right? Because he's going to talk about politics, religion, and what's the other thing that you can't talk about at dinner? 
something else. Simon. Then you've got Judas, also known as Jude. Jude was also known as a political activist, but unlike Simon, he was, you know, talk about his stuff all the time. Jude was a little quieter. He blended more in the background, but he was still very opinionated. If he was a Democrat, he hated Republicans. And if he was a Republican, then the Democrats were of the devil. I mean, that's kind of what their, 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 these zealots were. They were so opinionated about their political and religious views. And then finally, you've got a guy called Judas Iscariot, who there is hardly anything we know about this guy, except for the Bible says he later betrayed Jesus. Well, this is what we know about Judas. Judas was selfish. He was stingy. If you opened his wallet up, there was probably cobwebs in there. And he was the money carrier for Jesus. So when they went around, he was the one who had the the purse strings. That's what we know about these guys. What was it about these 12 men that made Jesus think, you know what? I want to do life with these guys I want to pour my life into them. They didn't look the same. They didn't speak the same. They didn't even believe the same. In fact, it was a very eclectic bunch of guys. Why did Jesus choose these? Well, I think Jesus, in choosing these 12 disciples, he is showing us a model. He's showing us a model how to develop friends and build relationships. He's showing us the beauty of having a variety of different relationships. Some of these guys were working class, some were middle class. Some were more educated than others, while some were more respected. Some had a bad reputation, while others had good reputations. Some were wealthy, some were poor. Some were loud and outgoing. Others were just quiet and shy. Why did Jesus choose these guys? Last week, in the third part of our Beautiful Things series, Chris shared with us just about a beautiful community, what a beautiful church community looks like. And in a beautiful church community, we need to find unity in our diversity. We don't all look the same. We don't all act the same. But we need to find unity in our diversity. A beautiful community is diverse where everyone is valued and everyone has something to bring. And even if they don't have something to bring, we still value them. It's a beautiful church community. Well, today, I want us to not just talk about the local church community, but I want to piggyback off what Chris said and go a little further. And I want to talk about the people that we interact with outside of this community, outside of our church community, the people that we are friends with, the people that, 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 that we are related by blood with, the people that we are neighbors with, the people that we go to work with, the people that, 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 that we see out and about and we socialize with. For Jesus is showing us something. I believe in choosing these 12. Jesus shows us that it's not just about diversity in relationship that matters, but I think Jesus is showing us something greater. He's showing us this. A person's value is not in what they do, where they come from, what they look like, 
or what they can do for you. A person's value should be determined by who they can become. See, so often we value people by what they do, what they look like, what they say, where they go, and what they can do for us. But I think Jesus is showing us here that these guys, it wasn't about who they were. It wasn't about what they've done. It wasn't about their status in the society and the community around them. It's about who they could become here. Last week, I was talking to somebody, and they figured out I wasn't American. And just to let you know, October 2nd, pray for me, I have my citizenship interview. So I'm like, woohoo, you know? So I got to pass that civics exam that none of you could pass, right? <laughs> yeah, some of you could because some of you are smart. But, <laughs> but anyway, I digress, right? So I was talking to this, 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 this girl, and uh, she, she, she was intrigued. She goes, so what is good about America? What is bad about America? What is different from America to Britain? What do you like about Britain? It was like 100 questions. It was like, ah, you know. And, and, and I've been here like, what, 14 years now. So, it, you know, it, it, my, 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 my memory isn't as good as, as what it was back then, of the differences. But obviously you get the, 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 the differences. Well, America is better because we have better weather. And uh, because English weather is terrible. America is better because I have a better way of life here because it's ridiculously expensive to live in the UK and people just don't have that way of life. You know, so I was going through different things like that. Britain's better because it has better sports than America, right? And, and, and so just, you know, d different things like that. Britain's better because you have more time off than Americans. Americans have two weeks. Brits have like six months, you know. And so, and so the, the difference is. But then it came to me. She said, well, what don't you like about America? And it's like forcing me into a corner. And I don't like that question because, you know, every society has its good and bad things. But I remembered the one thing I dislike most about America, and this isn't all Americans, but when I first moved over to America, I would meet somebody that I didn't know. You'd shake hands, and, uh, and then you would, you know, hi, I'm Alex, and the person would say their name, nice to meet you. And the first question, and I started to see a pattern, it would happen time and time again. The first question I'd always get asked is this, so what do you do? What do you do? And when I first came out, I was like, what? What do I do? I'm like, I do humanity, you know? I eat, sleep, go to the bathroom, and, you know, and watch TV. That's what I do, you know? What do I do? And after a while, I started understanding what people were really asking me. What do you do for a living? What is your career? And I hated that question. And I used to get very upset with that question. Now it doesn't bother me as much because I'm used to it. But I used to think, why do people want to know what I do? I know most people would say that, oh, we're just trying to get to know you. But the reality is, is I started determining people would see my value in what I did for a living. Like my, what I do for a living determines my value. 
Like, if I said I'm a professional sports person or I'm an actor, then they would have treated me so much different than if I had says, oh, I'm the guy who works at the sewer plant. I, I, I'm a successful businessman who, who has lots of different businesses. As opposed to, yeah, I just work minimum wage in a job that anybody else could work. Why does my value have to go with what I do for a living? So this girl was just like, right, I, I, I agree with you. I'm like, good, good. Then she said this question, so what do people in Britain ask people? And I was like, I don't know. We just talk about the weather. That's it. That's it. It's always dark and gray, but we always talk about one day, hey, in three weeks' time, the sun's going to come out. And that's what we talk about. That's it. We have to be careful not to see someone's value in what the world around us values. We have to see someone's value in what Jesus can do in and through them. And that's what Jesus did. Let's take a look at just a, a couple of things that, uh, that got Jesus into trouble. In Luke chapter 5, verse 27 to verse 30, it says this. Later, as Jesus left town, he saw a tax collector named Levi. This is the same Levi as Matthew who became his disciple. He saw a tax collector named Levi sitting in his tax collector's booth. Jesus says, follow me and be my disciple. So Levi got up, left everything and followed him. Later, Levi held a banquet in his home with Jesus as the guest of honor. Many of Levi's fellow tax collectors and other guests also ate with them. But the Pharisees and their teachers of religious law complained bitterly to Jesus' disciples, Why do you eat and drink with such scum? Scum. It's a pretty strong word. I recall anyone who is a Liverpool football club supporter, scum. Like some of you would call Pittsburgh Steeler fans, scum. Now that's allowed, right? No, I'm only kidding. But they were being serious. Jesus had met this guy, Levi. Levi was not a follower of the religious law. He was not religious. In fact, in their eyes, he was someone who had gone far away from God because he was now working for the Romans. And that was a no-no. And Jesus says, come and follow me. And then he invites Jesus to his house. And Jesus goes and eats and drinks with this man. And then he invites all his other tax collector friends. Because if you're a tax collector, who are your friends? In ancient Israel, it would have been tax collectors because no one else would have wanted to be your friend. And there's Jesus eating and drinking in the Pharisees. What is Jesus doing? Those men are scum. Why is Jesus with them? Let's go forward 10 chapters to Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15, verses 1 and 2, says this, Tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. 
This made the Pharisees and and teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with sinful people, even eating with them. So they're like, we don't like it that Jesus talks to them or these people come to him. We don't like it that sinners come into our church, but, you know, that's one thing. But if the pastor goes to dinner with them, uh, uh, uh-uh-uh, we don't like that. And that's what the Pharisee was saying. We don't like that Jesus associates with these people and these are people around them. But the fact that Jesus eats with them, notice what the Pharisees and even the writers of the gospel called these people. Sinners. Sinners. Like the Pharisees weren't sinners. Like the writers of the gospels weren't sinners. They were labeling them sinners. Let's move forward four more chapters to Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19, Jesus is coming to town. There's a small man called Zacchaeus. You know, he's a little restricted by his height. So he climbs a tree to see Jesus on his way. Zacchaeus is a chief tax collector, not just a tax collector. He is the boss of the other tax collectors. He's not just a sinner in their eyes. He is like a notorious sinner. When I see notorious, I can't think of help like the rapper, notorious B.I.G., right? So... (laughs) Luke chapter 19, verse 5. When Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus in the tree and called him by name, Zacchaeus. That's a a big thing because this is what the Pharisees would have looked at him. Sinner, cheat, you're not one of us. But notice Jesus calls him by name. Zacchaeus, he said. Quickly come down. And then listen to what Jesus says. I must be a guest in your home today. Now, Jesus isn't just receiving an invitation. Jesus is inviting himself. Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and took Jesus to his house with great excitement and joy. But the people were were displeased. This is what they said. He has gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner, they grumbled. Notice in all three of these stories, there's three groups of people. I call them us, them, and you. Us are the Pharisees and the religious leaders of the day. Us. Us, we are the ones who are great. We are the ones who are leading a good life. We are the ones who are morally upstanding. We are the ones who follow God. Us, we are almost perfect. Then we have them. And I say them with fingers pointed. Them were the sinners. Were the sinners. Tax collectors and sinners. Group them together. Notice the Pharisees are basically saying this. Uh, And this isn't good English, I know, but bear with me. Us are not like them. Us are better than them. Us should not associate with them. And then you have the third person. And the third person is you. 
and you is Jesus. And this is what the Pharisees saying. Us thought you were like us, but you should not be associating with them because us do not associate with them. Because them are sinners. That was the identity in the Pharisees' eyes. They had labeled them sinners because the Pharisees could not see value in their lives. And because they had no value, Jesus hanging out with them was decreasing in value in their eyes. See, the culture that Jesus lived in put a value on how religious you were. The more religious you were, the more status you you had. And the truth is, we value people based on what we value. It's just the way we humans are, but that is very dangerous. See, if we value money, we, we, value, we, we value others based on how much money they have. If we value religious practices, and we have to be very careful as Christians to do this, if we value religious practices, we often place a value on others based on how much religious practice they participate in. If we value appearances, then we place a value on how others appear. People who had been devalued by the religious establishment loved Jesus because Jesus had this amazing ability that for those who were living far from God, they didn't feel judged around Jesus. Now, we think to be judgmental means, or to not be judgmental, means to be okay with people doing whatever they want. That's what often we think. Well, I'm not, don't judge me. It's okay what I do. But this wasn't what Jesus did. Jesus was not okay with their sin. In fact, Jesus hated their sin more than the Pharisees did. But there was a difference. For Jesus was okay with building relationships with people even while they were in the middle of their sin. And if we want to be like Jesus and we want to be a beautiful community, we want to be a beautiful church to a world that God loves, we have to start building relationships with people even while they're in the middle of their sin. See, this is what often we do in church. We will build relationships with you when you start getting your act together. We will start hanging out with you when you stop doing some of those things. When you become a little more like us, then we will see value in you and give you our time. But that's not what Jesus did. Jesus started building relationship even while they were deep down in the middle of their sin. They did not feel judged by Jesus. Not because Jesus didn't tell them right from wrong, because Jesus did tell them right from wrong. But Jesus could see the incredible value in them, and their value was bigger than their sin. Jesus could see who they could become if he led into relationship with them. So, so last Saturday, we got invited to this party. It was an end of summer party. And uh, Raquel, my wife, had, had got invited via Facebook, and she asked me, she says, should we go to this party? And it was people that we don't really hang out with and have very different lifestyles to what we do, really not that much in common, uh, but we kind of casually know them. 
And so Raquel asked me, should, should we RSVP? And I said, no, I don't want to go. We have to get a babysitter. I'm like, I don't want to go. I don't want to hang out with those people. I've got nothing in common with them. Well, when she was RSVP, no, she made a mistake and RSVP'd yes. And before she could correct it, some of the other ladies, oh, I see that you're coming to the party. That's great. And we're like, oh, man. So we got the babysitter, and we went to this party. And we're dreading it all the way. We're driving like, oh, we got to get it. What's our exit strategy to get out of here quick, right? You know, you know it. You know, it's like tug on the ear. Let's get out of here. And we get there. And I'll be honest. I had a great time. I had a great time. Not because I agree with their lifestyles, a lot of them. Not because I have so much in common with them. But this is why I had a great time, because suddenly you start talking to people. And as you start talking to people, you realize they're not the people that you thought they were. I actually have a lot more in common with them than I thought. Started talking with them and realizing these people are actually pretty nice people. Even though I judged them and tried not to judge them, but I had. And this is what happened with Jesus. Jesus was like this. Remember one day Jesus was sitting down and he was the guest of honor at Simon's house. Uh, And then this lady called Mary comes, who is a notorious sinner. And she starts to come and pour oil on Jesus' feet and wipe them with her hair. And Judas Iscariot says, this is a disgrace. She could have used that money and sold it, given it to the poor. Others saying, why is Jesus allowing this woman to touch their feet, his feet? But Jesus didn't see what she was. He saw what she could become. It was another time Jesus went into a Samaritan village and there's an adulterer and a woman who's who's an outcast from the, 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 the community. She's at the well by herself drawing water and Jesus walks up to her and she start and he starts talking to her, building relationship with her. When you think about the people that you do life with, the people that you say are your friends, the people that you give the time of day to, who are they? Are your friends as eclectic as Jesus' friends? Every January, I, I have a journal and I write down kind of my prayers for the year and what I pray for. And one of my prayers for 2019 was this, that Raquel, Evan, my son, and myself will develop in our relationship that we will become healthier in our relationship, but that we will be able to expand our relationships and develop new life-changing relationships. That was my prayer in 2019. I have been amazed throughout this year. I think I have made more new friends this year than I've had in any year since I went to school. Because suddenly we decided, if we want our neighbors to experience a life-changing encounter with Jesus, we need to get to know our neighbors. And not just to say hi, but we need to spend time with our neighbors. If the people that, 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 that we see out and about or we socialize with, We look at them and we see them through the eyes of Jesus. Somebody 
who Jesus loves and we want to be a beautiful church to the world that Jesus loves, I realize I've got to get to know these people. Expanding our relationships. This is what I know. You will never love people until you start to see the value in them. And as people of Jesus, we're called to love. Love God and love others. I also know this. You will never be able to see the value in people unless you actually get to know them. And trolling them on Facebook or social media doesn't count. If you want to see the value in someone, you got to get to know them. They say don't judge a book by its cover. We do it all the time. Like, actually, I'll look at a book. I don't like that cover. I'm not reading it, right? you got to open the pages. you got to get to know people. You will never be able to know them unless you make a concerted effort to come out of your comfort zone. I'm going to big up my wife right now because this is a major stepping stone for her. Today we are going, leaving here, and we are going to our neighbor's house because they invited the whole neighborhood to a football party. And if you know my wife, she despises football. But she was like, should we go? I'm like, yeah, let's go. You got to get out of your comfort zone. You will never be able to be like Jesus until you start to love people. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and we're almost done. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 16 to 20. The apostle Paul wrote to the church at Corinth and he said this. So, we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. At one time, we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view. How differently we know him now. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone and new life has begun. And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God who has given us this task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself no longer counting people's sin against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. Paul says we've stopped evaluating people from our human perspective. Start seeing their value in Christ. We're Christ's ambassadors. We're the ones to go and reconcile people to Christ. But you'll never be able to reconcile someone to Christ unless they understand that you value them. And you won't value them unless you get to know them and you don't get to know them unless you get outside your comfort zone. When you start seeing people through the eyes of Jesus, it is amazing what happens. You start to find it's a lot easier to offer forgiveness and receive forgiveness than before. 
You find that you start to create deeper relationships and you'll be amazed at the friends that you make. So this sermon that I've just given, I've entitled it Dinner. Dinner. For we are, if we are called to be a beautiful church to the world that God loves, then I think it starts with dinner. Who doesn't like dinner? I love dinner. Before my son came along, we were foodies. We love exploring new foods and new things. And then, you know, the kids come along and you have to get a babysitter, right? You know? It's tough. But dinner. There are not many more beautiful things in the world than sharing a meal with friends. I could sit at the dinner table for hours, eating, drinking, talking with people. For dinner is a beautiful thing. Notice what Jesus did. Jesus ate and drank with all types of people. He had both casual and formal dinners. He attended wedding feasts. He went around other people's uh, homes for dinner. He accepted invites to parties. For he knew that dinner was an incredible way to build relationships. So I'm going to ask you two questions I want you to ponder on today and this week. And the first question is this. Who are you inviting to dinner? Who are you inviting to dinner? The second question is, whose invitation are you accepting for dinner? Who are you inviting to dinner? Whose invitation are you accepting to dinner? See, if we're called to demonstrate God's love to the world, then we need to form relationship with those that are in the world. Not so there are little conversion projects, as Christians often do, where I'm building relationships so so they can get saved. That doesn't work. It's got to be authentic. Because we're Christ's ambassadors. And we have to see what Jesus sees, people's extreme value in this world. And what Christ can do in and through them. They say, look at someone's bank statement and you will find what they value in life. I go a little step further. I would say, look at the people someone eats, drinks and spends time with. And I will tell them how much like Christ they are becoming. Let's bow our heads in prayer. If we really are Christ's ambassadors, then our role in life is this, to reconcile people to God. So who are we we reconciling to God? Who are we helping to make peace with God? Who are we helping find the incredible life Love, joy, peace, hope, and salvation through Jesus Christ. Who have we rejected? 
Who have we thought that we are above? Or that we've got nothing in common with that maybe God brought into our life for a reason? Who did we stop building relationships with because it just got a little too hard and messy? And others says, why are you spending time with them? As ambassadors for Christ, we need to look, act, and value people like Christ did. So I'm going to pray for you in a minute. And as I pray, this is going to be my prayer, that this week, God will give you divine appointments and interactions so that you can build new relationships. Restore old relationships and go deeper into current relationships so that you can be part of the incredible kingdom of God that is helping reconcile in a world to Jesus Christ. So Father God, we thank you for the lessons of your life. Father, if we were you, if we were Jesus, we probably would have never chose those 12. But Jesus, we believe that you are showing us an example of how we should be to a lost and dark and hurting world. We understand, Lord, that the value there is in these people who maybe are far from you is so much greater than their sin or the place that they're at. Because what you can do in someone's life is beyond what we could even comprehend. And so, Father God, today we pray that each and every one of us this week will have opportunities to build relationships with others. God, that you will deepen relationships that are already already there. That, God, that you will restore relationships that are broken down. Lord, that we will not look, look at somebody and devalue them because of what they do or what they say or how they look or where they come from or what they drive or what house they live in or what job they have. But we will see the value in them, Lord Jesus, as you see the incredible life that they could become. The child of God that you desire for them to be. So give us opportunities this week and in the coming weeks to be a beautiful church that values this world and loves this world as you do. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you. I hope you have some of those divine appointments this week. And God gives you opportunities to build relationships. Step out of your comfort zone. Go to a football party. God bless you. Have a great week.